Yes, Eve, how are we? Welcome to another episode of the High Performance Coach Podcast. I hope that you're well. Today, we are joined by another incredible guest, an incredible friend, and somebody that I have so much love, admiration, respect, and appreciation for. And uh, I know that you're going to be able to take so much gold uh, away from this podcast. And uh, I'm not actually sure where this conversation is actually going to go. So I'd like to introduce you to the man, the myth, the legend, the Mr. Built for Life King, Mr. Mark Straffen. Mark, how are you? Good, mate. Thank you very much for having me in your home with peppermint tea. <laughs> We're actually thinking about changing the podcast to a peppermint tea with Joe. And... Uh, <laughs> Just get as many people around for a peppermint tea and a chat and we'll basically just see where it goes. Uh, but me and Mark are actually uh, competing together tomorrow in the uh, Glasgow Doubles High Rocks, uh, which will be the second time that we've now competed in the kind of like the performance round, the first time that we've done uh, High Rocks together. So uh, we just thought it'd be great to catch up, connect. Mark's back from Dubai. Uh, we grab a pizza, put the fire on, record a podcast. And then, of course, uh, talk strategy because we're both incredibly competitive and <laughs> we, we literally want to look, look at every single 1% to make sure that we can leave absolutely no so left unturned. But um, let's crack on. Mark, tell me a little bit more about Built for Life. What is it? Built for Life, I think this is something that's been a, an accumulation of my life's work. I think coaching very much is all about the person and understanding the person before they actually come to you. And for me, I had a huge backstory, a a backstory that probably put me in a position that I shouldn't be in today, if that makes sense. And through the kind of turmoils, through the challenges, I took so much lessons from it, like I built so much self-awareness, that I think so many people don't. They get victimised by it and they kind of start to feel that life is always playing against them and they can't play life's game. And this goes for everyone who might actually not be high achievers initially, it might be people who are very high performing in their own right, they've got great relationships, they've maybe run their own business or have multiple businesses across the board, but they all struggle with the same thing and it's like the belief that they can do everything and the belief that they can actually not live a balanced life but instead take time back for themselves and work at something that they've always believed they couldn't do so instead place their focus elsewhere and that's why a lot of them are high achievers that sometimes come to us that have succeeded so much elsewhere because they've had that kind of insecurity that they can't work in the body but they wanted to prove a point to someone somewhere that they could do something different so they had a different set of tools and they've sacrificed themselves along the way the people that aren't really what people would describe as the higher achievers are people who show incredible characteristics to change they've maybe been through a lot of turmoil a lot of challenge in their life we've worked with people who have also been going to therapy at the same time who have underlying trauma but they are showing the discipline, the resilience to become better people. And we understand that life can be extremely hard based upon your experiences, the things you currently still go through, the stress you embody on a daily basis and how you feel like you may be in this cocoon of just overwhelm all the time. And we create very simple strategies and frameworks of how you can get out of that and coach people in a very different way. We don't like the old, just here's a plan, calories, training, so on and so forth. We have a behavior change expert on board, obviously Jane, our head of client development. We've got an in-house psychotherapist. We've just now invested in Cam, who's going to be coming on board to do the meditation masterclasses. We're looking to bring on another two to three members of staff this year, but we really want to flush out where we need the expertise because we don't want it to be that I just bring in a copycat version of me when I can do that job. I want people in better areas who can excel far past what I can in that area. But I think it's really good because the team dynamic, we all know a lot about what each other does, so we're very much in sync. Even though Jane doesn't come from like a physical background because she's worked with me for so long, she's developed that because I work alongside Jane and Jean. I've got like a lot of that kind of emotional and mental understanding of people, like the, the emotional intelligence, the way people's mindset works, their behaviours. Jean, because obviously she has kind of been part of the fitness industry for so long because her husband had been in, or fiance, sorry, should I say, 
they've not booked the wedding yet, so that might ruffle some feathers. <laughs> <laughs> but because she's been in and around the fitness industry for so long, she doesn't come at psychotherapy in a way where she says, just focus entirely on your mind just now. She wants it to be a synonymous journey because she understands the importance of it. So Built for Life is to help people who struggle in life excel in life, realistically, and to mitigate stress and to really come into their own because I recognise that so many people do things for reasons that probably fill a void and bring them some form of like validation and acceptance because they never had it somewhere. Like if they were maybe younger and they were socially awkward, they finally broke into like a social circle they're very proud of, but throughout that process, because they always just do what everyone else does, they've ate and drank themselves into oblivion, <coughs> they have more anxiousness now than they've ever had, but they can't take themselves away from that thing they always wanted so much. So we try and reframe people's neurological pathways to like offer insights and paradigm shifts so that they can actually start to realise that life can be a different way. Dude, love that. Out of curiosity, you touched upon, obviously you said your story. Why is this so important to you? Um, I've spoke to Jean a few times about this and she keeps calling me this thing and I can't remember it off the top of my head so I might butcher it. I'm pretty sure she said you're very much like the wounded healer. I think it's like a book, I'm not 100% sure but she's referred to me as that a couple of times and she basically says that people who are usually very wounded offer the biggest help to other people. I also see that to some degree because I see like a lot of the clients I work with that maybe have been in a poor position previously but they give too much of themselves to people so they've not like laid the foundations in life physically, mentally, emotionally to show up as their best for other people whereas I've kind of made that happen first and then went down this avenue of work to impact people's life in this way. I think from that upbringing if you want to maybe take a little bit of context from it, I was a middle child so straight away that tells you something. I was like the kid that just fucking ran around ran into walls. <laughs> my parents were just like you'll be fine. My, my brother, my sister, my brother was always that kind of older sibling who was like, my younger sibling gets everything. <coughs> I was just left in the middle, then the younger sibling was the one that did get most of the attention and hated that the oldest sibling fucking hated her for getting all the attention and so on and so forth. So it's a little bit of a weird dynamic to start with um, and I was just left in my own devices and because of that, I actually think I explored a lot more because my mum and dad said, you used to hurt yourself and we're normal kids would cry and like look for help, you just, what's next, you know? You, you would jump in, I remember the first time they said uh, I jumped in a pool, they, they were like, you were before three years old, and you were like, I just want to go in the pool, so I'm just going to jump in the pool. They were like, do you want us to come in? You're like, nah, I just dived head first. I was always quite curious with things, so I think that underlying was actually like a big helper to me upon reflection now. But also, as you start to grow up and you do feel like a bit of an outsider and you feel like you don't get as much attention as other people, that does kind of seep into other areas. I had a speech impediment when I was younger, so a lot of people even myself sometimes can't believe I kind of do this job and get to speak to hundreds of people at a time, um, which does seem a little bit fried. I couldn't really play team sports when I was younger because I couldn't communicate. And when I did start to communicate when I was older, I only communicated based upon the emotions of what I seen around me. So my dad worked away because he had a really kind of tough time initially. We were all under the age of four as three kids. My mum didn't have a great job. My dad was like a pipe fitter plumber by trade, but he couldn't get work. So my mum used to actually make sandwiches for my dad to go and sell outside building sites. And I understand how hard that must be as someone who has a craft and knows they're good at something, having to go and basically be seen as that person that's under the individuals and basically serve them the lunch. Like, psychologically, that could do something to you. And he had to work, like, constantly. My mum actually worked two jobs for, for quite a while. And they were just very stressed, the two of them. Very, very stressed. My dad then managed to 
fine work, but it was away. So he used to work in like China for three months at a time, Indonesia for three months at a time. And you can imagine a man who goes away and works on his own and is in digs on his own, coming back to a house with a wife who's stressed and three kids. And I'm going to say, we were wee shits, man. <laughs> we were wee shits. <laughs> and especially me, I think because I was so curious, I used to do things that I didn't really realise were wrong until I'd done them. <laughs> and I would get into so much trouble, I would stress my mum out. But I was also very caring as well. So, when my dad used to come home, he was always a big drinker and he's admitted to me that he's like a functioning alcoholic. So I'm always going to say that truthfully because he's admitted it to me. And if you ever hear me talking about it, I really wouldn't care because he's admitted it. <laughs> and I think you need to be open and honest. So he was very stressed when he came back. So we always got punishment to some degree if we kind of crossed the line in some areas. And we were always walking on eggshells. Um, then when I kind of got to the age where I could communicate more, like maybe towards my teenage years, I decided that I need to try and fit in somewhere. So I basically just started to follow the crowds. I started to do things that I shouldn't have done that always used to make me feel bad and I knew they made me feel bad when I was doing them, but I was just like, my need to fit in here so badly is so high and so like emotionally connected to me because I've never really had it that I'm going to do it anyway. Because when I was growing up, I had this speech impediment. Like I used to get bullied like hell. I used to have a massive set of ears, tiny head, and people used to call me like a Russian monkey from the jail that escaped and my mum and dad had adopted me. I used to get like kicked off my bike by older kids, all of this sort of stuff. Um, grew up and because I'd been in the kind of wrong friendship circles and I'd kind of developed a poor relationship with alcohol because I'd seen that from my dad. And I always had, I always had still kind of communicated in an emotional way because seeing my mum and dad stressed, they would always communicate through snapping, being maybe a little bit aggressive in some areas. And I don't blame them for that because they were just trying their fucking best. Um, it got to the point where I was running with the crowd a little bit too much and you see, or you know that old saying where it's like you, you fly with the crows, you shot the crows. Um, I then got like charged with a few different cases of assault, breach of the peace, which I actually didn't do. I didn't do anything, I found not guilty for it. But I realised like that, that was a position in my life I never ever wanted to be in, like ever again. So I actually joined the gym at that time. Um, it was a sporter and it was like, I, I worked part time and it was like a fifth of my overall wage. So I was like, if I pay for this place, it's going to keep me accountable and I'm going to go. It did, it did help me, but I still struggled to kind of break away from like wanting to go out, wanting to drink, wanting to take part. But it's like that progression, isn't it? Like it became one weekend less than two weekends less than three weekends <coughs> less than four weekends less and so on and so forth. Um, but I kind of probably diverted that need for like love and appreciation elsewhere because a lot of that was driven by quite dark energy. Um, and then I was in a very, very narcissistic relationship. Now looking back on it, at the time I didn't think so. Like it doesn't feel that way when you're in a narcissistic relationship. But I was never like, the best looking guy. I wasn't the one the girls wanted. I wasn't... I wasn't the one that people found funny or found attractive or strong or good at something, you know what I mean? So when I met that partner at the time, I felt as if like it was shifting the waves for me a little bit. But I got too embroiled emotionally um, with the kind of manipulation to some degree. And it was quite difficult. And actually, it's a little bit difficult to admit from a male standpoint, but I think there's nothing to be ashamed of. When that relationship ended, I was like pff, fucking lost. I was dropped at the 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 top of a hat, if you want to call it that. Um, all communication broke down and it wasn't really for any reason whatsoever as well. So I was kind of back to square one, really struggling. Um, I put on 2.5, three stone. Like I was PTing at the time as well. Like I was so out of shape physically, mentally, emotionally. Like I was just done and I had so much pain internally. 
and I'd always been around, let's just say poor mental health, and I'd always been around um, some cases of like suicidal ideology, self-harm, stuff like that, and I just wanted the pain to go away, so I self-harmed for the first and the last time in 2017. Um, I've actually only really got comfortable speaking about this lately. First time I ever spoke about it was to my clients back in 2021, I think. I spoke about it in my hot seat and I started crying when I talked about it because it's the first time I've ever mentioned it since. But I feel good talking about it now because it's, it's part of my journey. Like People need to know that even if you're struggling out there, like you can pick it back up. Something just went in me that day. Like I was like, this is not you. You need to fucking get a grip yourself. The only person that's going to help you here is you. And since then, I've just been on like this fucking mission. And the amount of growth that I've had in the last six years, I would never have imagined. Like you said, I'm living in Dubai now. If you could have told me that six years ago when I was at that point, that I would now be working for one of the world's biggest fitness masterminds sitting here with you, like now have a fiance that I've been married to in July, I've got a dog, I'd lived in Spain for three months, I'm now in Dubai for the past four months and will be there for the foreseeable future. That guy would never have believed you before that happened, like, but the instant after, I think the guy could tell you he could have, which everyone has hoped for, and that's what being built for life is all about. Dude, love that. I massively appreciate the honesty and the openness and the transparency. Talk me through then, obviously, how you have been able to kind of shape and mould and evolve, because I think the big thing that I often see is that obviously when you now get into the fitness industry, obviously you now didn't step into the fitness industry with built for life and that level of awareness. Yeah. And it's almost like this growth and this evolution. So talk me through the kind of like the stage and the phase you've now been through. Because I talked about last week at our event, how you almost will outgrow your market once yeah. you've been in the industry for a little while and you start to kind of now gain a degree of like safety and security. You work with a load of different people. So talk me through that kind of journey that you went on. Yeah, I would have, I would have worked with anyone to start with. <laughs> like anyone, pretty, pretty yeah. sure you would have done the same. Yeah. Um, I quit my full-time job in 2014 and just invested in like a six-week personal training course. Um, managed to get like a self-employed job at Exercise for Less at the time. I think most of them were away. I think they're mostly JD gyms now. But... I was like, this is not failing. So they used to sell what was called like a welcome pack with their membership. So it was like, you pay 20 pound, you get like a wee bag, water bottle, you get two or three person training sessions. I was in that gym morning, noon, night, like from open till it shut, delivering three personal training sessions constantly, all the time. And I remember that I'd done it for like seven or eight weeks straight, I think it was. And I got my first paying client and I was like, oh my God. My mum and dad actually, just for all my hard work, bought me you remember one of those ISO cooler bags, like yeah. the, the black and the red yeah. ones? <laughs> and I remember they gave it to me and I just burst <laughs> I was just like, what is going on, man? I'm so tired and exhausted. Like this is now starting to pay off. I think within that same week or probably within the kind of seven days of when that week lie LA, I took on like another like six clients. So just built my momentum so suddenly, but it's because I just showed up and I was so consistent. Then I built up to definitely the, the busiest trainer in the gym. There was one other trainer on the gym that was probably just as busy as me, but didn't have the same standards as me. Like, he would often be late. He'd done the group coaching. Came, became a really good friend. But sometimes his headspace was just a little bit. It was being loved like... <laughs> Love like going to Ibiza to get one of the boys. I remember, I remember I was talking to him and um, in work one morning and I was just like, how are you doing? Like, how was your weekend? He was like, oh, it was great. But me and the missus have fell out and I was like, why have you and the missus fell out? And I did it and he said like, oh, well, on, on Friday I turned my phone off and I told her I really wasn't well and I flew to Ibiza for one night to see so-and-so play and I was like, what? He's like, I just cancelled my sessions Friday night and just went and I was like, I would never do that. I was like, Fair dues, admiration, but I just, like, I couldn't from a standards perspective. So he was actually leaving the gym to open his own gym, like his own kind of small private studio. 
and it was mines away so a lot of his clients weren't going so I basically bought his small semi-private off him ran that until Exercise for Less came to me and basically said right if you want to coach here from now on we're going to pay you so you were going to get a set wage and you would only get 20% of the money that the people pay for PT yeah. and I was just like fuck off not a chance um, so then I moved to the gym took 40% of my client base because people had to be members of the gym they didn't want to travel and that was within the that was within a three week space so the, the three weeks to get out um, so I went back to having to like do shifts clean treadmills all that sort of stuff so spending like four years building yourself up and building your business to a point and having to like go all the way back to that it's demoralising but I was like I'm not going to show any ego around it um, there was a gym in Hamilton where I lived that I really wanted to, to get into but he capped his personal trainers and then eight weeks after I went to the gym he basically was advertising for a, for a trainer and I contacted him and I was like I need, I need in here <laughs> this is like life or death again grew my business to the point where I was the busiest in there started dabbling on online I was like one of those coaches 100 pound a month here's your plan blah 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 yeah. I'll do my in, in, in face sessions people always wanted to kind of come and do it in face as well alongside online but I just didn't have the capacity um, started to run like execution camps but for online clients because I was like they need something different so I would do like a presentation in the morning then a training session in the afternoon it would run for like 4-5 or five hours and I just felt like that really separated me apart from other people as well um, and then by the time Covid I had like 60 hours face to face I had 80 online clients and to be fair a lot of clients did stick with me through Covid I worked relentlessly for the first month of Covid making sure I redesigned like the training library and trainerized to make sure the videos were different based upon what everyone had whether that be resistance bands dumbbells everything like i exhausted myself i used to take 6 15 a.m sessions like jump about my living room just to get people like on board but slowly but surely as i started to then evolve because i had more time to think i realized like the pandemic is impacting people on a far greater level and i always love working in the gym floor and getting people results but also realized that people weren't sustaining results like they would that actually annoyed me, mm-hmm. you know, because you can't really own the result if you if you don't sustain it. So I just started to think a little bit more about a, a holistic form of coaching. And when I say holistic, people think it's fucking eighty fairy. It's it's not. <laughs> it's not being holistic is like doing the deed and whatever that deed is at any given point. So like, if you need to have a rock up your ass, it's a rock up your ass. If you need a wee bit more compassion, it's that. If you need to like have a wee bit more in-depth connection, like on a call, it's that. If you need to look at areas of your mindset or your life that are quite difficult that other people wouldn't look at for you, it's that. And I think these are the things that people overlook because people just want the outcome, they just want the result, but they don't realise the environment around them is like infecting it. It's just stopping them from growing. It's like a disease. So realistically, during lockdown, once I had that time to think, I was just like, I don't think I can go back to gym floor PT and I said that to Joanne and don't get me wrong there was like a fear around that because that's like a big transition like I've been online for months remember the gym opened I think in August for the first time again yeah. for like six weeks yeah. um, so that was from March until like August and if you told me in March I wasn't going to go back to the gym floor I'd have been like nebola <laughs> um, but I made the decision went in told the guy really respectful about it just wished me luck um, and then he just continued to grow from there decided to take Jen on decided to take Jean on um, obviously now decided to take Cam on my wee sister does stuff in the background for me as well so it's quite a smooth streamlined operation don't get me wrong like a lot of work to maintain it and your business is always your baby so even though you delegate parts away you're always going to be doing something else <laughs> so that's how it's evolved incredible what 
out of curiosity, do you feel as though have been some of the biggest and the most uh, pivotal like, key principles mm. that have now actually allowed you to get 60 hours a week of coaching, to have 80 online clients? Like, what would you now say have been some of like, the most important like behaviors and or traits yeah. that you feel as though can maybe get overlooked and or necessarily underappreciated yeah. that you think you've done incredibly well to get to that point? Number one, don't shag your clients. <laughs> <laughs> no, so many PTs that you're shag your clients. Don't do that. I wasn't, do you know what? I was literally not, I was like, I was not expecting, I was not expecting, I, was not, I wasn't expecting that. I thought it was going to be relentless. Be <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, that was a joke. But number one, number one, be relentless. Like it's everything you do. Like it's not, it's not just about showing up all the time to love on the sessions, it's being on time for those sessions, it's having the programming um, changed for when it's supposed to be changed, it's making sure that your messages outside the gym are catered for at a specific time of the day and getting back to, like you're not actually reducing your standards just because you're tired, it's making sure you build relationships with people, like it's not just a case of like, if someone inquires, here's my prices, let me know what you think, it's let's talk a little bit more about you, let's understand you a little bit more. And that is always what I've done very differently because I think it probably came from a little insecurity at the same time of like, I want people to like me, yeah. you know? Yeah. That made me try a little bit harder, which I'm not like at all anymore. If you fucking don't like me, you don't like me. <laughs> but it's enabled me to build better relationships with people because I think when people used to look at me Remember everyone used to say I used to train in the gym and it used to look as if I wanted to punch someone's head off. <laughs> just my head would be down, I would just be training like a fucking relentless machine. Like you are tomorrow. Like yeah, tomorrow, like tomorrow, like tomorrow. tomorrow. Aye. When you see that guy tomorrow, yeah. you know he's still in there. Yeah. Um, and they used to be like, you just look like a scary, scary guy. Even one of my clients, me and Jen laugh about this constantly. One of my clients, Louise, that came on board recently, or recently, she's been on for about a year, but she's nearly up 100 pounds down. Um, was on the, close, on, the, on the verge of suicide and all that sort of stuff. Her friend, when she first signed up with me, said like, oh my God, why are you going to him? He just looks like a big chicken and rice bastard. Like, I can't <laughs> believe you're signing up with him. He just looks like basically like a big juice head, you know, a big bodybuilder. Um, and I think that's how a lot of people perceive me until they spoke to me. And that's that's what changed things. And I think that's such a good trait to have for so many people. Because I think a lot of coaches out there put on a front as well to try and look like something. And then people are maybe attracted to them for that and initially go, that's great, I want a part of it, but then realise like everything else that comes with it isn't so great either. So like if you're upholding your standards, you're being very brutally honest, and you're trying to be that like no bullshit coach, it means that you're not giving your clients the compassion when you need them. Like you're overlooking a lot of like key things that you need to know to help that person, how that person ticks, how they think, like how they react in certain situations, and maybe they've got high anxiety and stuff like that. How much more they need to have to lean on you Vice versa, if you're that one that just wants people to like you and you're a bit too compassionate, then people aren't going to get results because if you hold them in that compassionate area for too long, then they're just going to think they don't have to do fuck all, you know? So you need to know people to know how to push them. And I know the clients that I can just say to them, like, you need to fucking get up today and get this done. Yeah. And they'll do it. And the other ones, if I said that to them, they would crumble a little bit. Yeah. So with that relationship, means that you can build better, better um, foundations of trust so that the way in which you come across to someone isn't opposite to what they perceived you to be because everything's always been laid on the table to start with.
I think two things stand out there for me. Number one, like some lessons have to be experienced rather than to be fully understood. Yeah. Like you've got to now be able to find your edge and you can only now do that by working with a multitude of different people and by learning through experience and learning by doing the do, which is yeah. why it's so important, I think, to have the opportunity to spend as much time on the gym floor connecting, communicating, having conversations and actually now being able to really just get to know people. One of the biggest things that I think um, is often overlooked is just the ability to now be able to understand how can I now listen, right? Yeah. Communicate, hold space, because that's one of the most powerful kind of like um, skills that I think any kind of coach can now have because we're in a service-based industry. So the ability to be able to now connect with the human first, the result, the transformation, the referral, the retention happens as a byproduct and happens second. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the, the second thing, like for me, it's just for you, um, looking at your evolution, your growth, and your own kind of like journey, and now looking at, okay, how is those 60 hours on the gym floor, getting up morning, afternoon, evening, now served? What and how you operate in the online space, and do you think it's had a, a positive correlation because of that exposure to now connecting? Oh, people? 100%. Like, I think a lot of coaches that I see that are trying to like create that online business always say, like, don't know how to run an online business. And it's not even just from the perspective of what systems do I need, like how do I deliver it? It's, I don't know how to speak to my clients, when to speak to my clients, all of that sort of stuff. So those sessions for years on the gym floor, like I, bought, I was in the gym floor for about seven years, and pretty much from that initial eight week point where I never really had any clients whatsoever, and then I got like six, seven, within a space of like seven days, and then just started to grow from there. I was never at a point where I was any less than like 30 hours of PT a week for years, months, every single day. And it allowed me to work with so many different type of people and understand the people I want to work with. The clients that were always my base clients, the ones that opened up to me the most and respected me enough to also put the work in because we had this like similar vision and mission. Then it got me to understand people I didn't want to work with and that's okay. And I remember this one time I was delivering the free sessions to this guy and he just wouldn't talk the full time unless I spoke to him about cricket. And I've never fucking watched cricket in my life. So I actually went home and read up about cricket just so I knew how to fill the gaps and fill the silence for this guy the next day. And I remember I didn't even ask him at the end, like, do you want to sign up and do like an extra couple of sessions? Because I was like, I cannot handle this guy yeah. for the next five, ten hours that I'm going to sell him. So I think from that point, I was building that intuition of these are the people that I will take and these are the people I won't and that guy was a bit further in after I'd send people up as well so it's like I've got the belief that I can send up people that are more aligned to me and that I can help and who are willing to work with me to make this happen and after you start to build that initial confidence and even get a couple of them on board like it just goes to show how confident you can be to say no to other people and it's really allowed me to look at the characteristics of the people I want to work with very clearly and see it in them don't get me wrong talk can be cheap sometimes people don't always follow through with what they say but it's still your job and your duty if they've told you this to find out the reasons that are holding them back. And all you can do is do your best and if they're not willing to play ball with you then you disconnect from that emotionally. Like you, you can't hold on to their success because you don't own it and you, you can't make someone be successful. Um, you can only do everything so be in your power so you can just be like I've covered the framework that I always do. I've went deep. I've, I've, I've dug into the pain. Like have these people opened up to me enough? Perhaps no. Are they maybe willing to? No, maybe they're just not ready. So it's really like me to understand people more, like relationships, connections. That's been the biggest thing. And I think it's the thing that's so undermined. Like, I was speaking to a girl on my Instagram messages this week. I'm not going to name her. She might know who she is if she listens to this. 
But she said that she just recently left the coach because the coach was just all about the coach. Yeah. You know, it was the money in the pocket. <coughs> it was basically sending her voice notes, not being very helpful or supportive. Like she was dieting for a, a photo shoot and she was doing well. And even she said that I was doing well. Like she's got training experience, but the coach was being like, you still have to fucking work harder kind of thing. Like, don't get me wrong, that's good in areas. Like, I know if I was doing like an obscene event and I wasn't doing and I was doing well, but I knew I could be doing better. I'd want you to say that to me because I can handle it. Yeah. But some people can't. And again, that's where the relationship comes in, you know? Yeah, massively. On relationships, this is now obviously taking me back to kind of like when we first really connected. Yeah. Obviously, first initially when we stood in our pants in fake tan. <laughs> um, obviously, a good, a, good few, a good few years ago. I thought you were talking about something. No, we are going to come on to that as well because that is a story that now has to be shared. But I also know one of the biggest things, obviously now, if anybody listens to this, um, what I would assume a lot of people would now uh, kind of like portray as somebody who's got com- confidence, who's got clarity, who's got certainty, uh, who's now got incredible self-awareness uh, and great understanding um, and obviously has a kind of expectation, a standard of like, like coaching and communication. Yeah. Um, but when I first kind of really got the opportunity to connect and meet and speak with you on a more intimate level in many ways, and we'll come on to in a second, um, one of the biggest actually like hesitations and kind of levels of resistance that you now had about hiring a coach was due to your own previous experiences and almost you had yourself actually lost trust in the coaching process because yeah. what you'd now been through, I'm not going to mention names, but do you want to yeah. even touch upon that? Because I think sometimes it's like, especially with coaches, it's almost like you have certain standards now and it actually can be quite difficult because you know how you want to be coached, you know the standards, how you want to communicate, how you now want to be able to, um, like, I suppose, connect with, it, connect with a person. And when that's not being met, it can almost feel quite difficult because, yeah, your expectations don't, you don't meet, meet, meet the reality. And I think that can almost then almost lead to you losing faith and trust in yeah, the industry. 100%. And I think... At that point as well, it maybe triggered, like I've, I've never been, I've never seen myself as part of the fitness industry, right? Because the fitness industry was very different when we first entered the fitness industry. And there was a lot of like clicks kicking about, there was a lot of egos kicking about and I never really fit in anywhere. So I was like, why am I going to fit in here? So I think that's maybe why as well I was able to build better connections with people too, because they maybe met someone that wasn't like all those other fuckers <laughs> at the time, because yeah. even I didn't like all those other fuckers. Um, so I'd invested in myself um, to be around people like I would only invest myself with the best in the industry and that's what I've always done until today and I've never actually looking back invested in anyone that's just been like substandard everyone is like the fucking peak of the industry including yourself um, give you a little, little shout out yeah. <laughs> um, so at the time like I'd invested in this individual under like different circumstances if you want to say that um, as part of something different and that's what kind of funneled me into this person's presence but the environment that I was in around this individual initially, it was all talking about standards, like the way in which clients should be treated, the way in which um, you as a coach should like uphold yourself and your promise and all of this sort of stuff. And I paid this person. I remember, I can't remember the year, but I remember I paid them initially first in the month of October. And it was like £200, right, a month, which I think it was like six or seven years ago, which at the time in the industry, I wasn't making like big bucks, you know what I mean? Like I was investing everything I had into myself and I paid him in October and he was like, right, I need to see you in person before I can get your plan drawn up to take your body fat and all that. And I was like, you're 500 miles away. (laughs) 
right? I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I was like, right, fine. So out my own way, travel 500 miles. At the end of October, because I was like, it's the only opportunity I'm going to get. Remember, I'm still working on the gym floor. I just recently met my now fiance, and she's like, I want to see you at the weekends if you're just constantly working during the week. And I used to work Saturday mornings as well. So I'd like cut my Saturday morning to travel for this person. Went down, got it all done, cool. So I'd now made November's payment. Nothing through November. Not even a text. So I was like, what's happening here? Like I was wait- I was just waiting, like my training programme, nutrition, anything, like not one thing come through. Text at the end of November, like, have you got that sorted yet? Yeah, 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 I'll have it done to you this week. Nada. Text him again just before Christmas. Nothing back, oh sorry, we were off for Christmas, blah, blah, blah. So I've now paid December, and then I've paid, January, paid January's, and again, nothing over. So I was just getting really fucking pissed off. And I knew other people that in the industry that had recently went to this person as well, that the same had happened to, or they had received the programme, and it was completely different from what they'd asked for. So like, girls who were very quad dominant, asking for a lot of the glute-based stuff, and it was all like quad-based exercises that this person prescribed as if it was just like, this person's on my back, so I need to deliver something out. So it kind of broke about trust because the environment I'd been in initially where I was exposed to this person was preaching about like the high standards that need to be like upheld in the industry, how you need to be as a coach, but then never followed through themselves. And I've seen myself at the time as a decent enough coach to know that that was completely wrong, that they were saying something on the front end and saying something shit in the back end. So basically just messaged and said, I'm going to stop the payments. Um, and they came back to the call, have your training plan over to you. Today, this was like the end of January because I basically sent it just before my February payment was going to come out. So it was like nearly a grand. It was £800 worth of money for nothing. Not a thing. Well, more than that because I had to travel the 500 miles, which I went down on train as well. Um, stayed in overnight. So it was probably over a grand plus, you know, for what? Nothing. Yeah. And one big thing there is, you know, we, we share about that is because actually that conversation that we had was actually the first at the time that I'd ever being exposed to almost like another coach now losing trust in the industry yeah. that they now very much worked in and actually realised it was that resistance that there was almost like to like hire another coach because of like that experience and then that also made me think like well if that's not another coach that's now resistant to hiring another coach within the field and within the space then how would a like non-coach gen pop like client now feel based upon their previous experiences, which then comes back down to the power of being a human first, the power of connection, yeah. the power of opening up, the power of actually now like giving yourself the opportunity to actually really get to know people and giving people the opportunity to be able to now like let people in, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and actually how it isn't just this simple transactional process that you now go through because you don't know what experiences people have maybe been through before. So when it now comes to, especially the online coaching, like world, talk me through some of the kind of like really important traits, um, principles or like habits that you feel and or see people doing in the online space that is actually now allowing them to thrive and develop and actually now really go and connect with the right audience and the right types of clients that they want to get through the door. Yeah, I think you do it very well, which is like be the face and the voice of your own business. The amount of online coaches that I see that are like petrified of sending like a video to someone, putting a video up online, it has to be pristine and perfect. They're not showing like the kind of vulnerable side of them of like stuttering or or stammering and being like, oh, I don't know what to say. Like it actually gets less engagement if you re-record it and try and polish it. Um, even not sending a voice note to someone, like showing the energy, showing the care, like not really making a good first impression, you know, just like, yeah, tell me a little bit more about why you want to lose fat. You know, like just very general, like no power behind it, no 
tell me about you as a person, what brought you here, you know? Um, people being scared to like speak to people because they worry that they're not going to get the sale. You know, so like people instead of just like jumping on a call and create connection with someone, then bring them on board because that trust element has been built is I don't know if I want to take more sales calls because my close rate isn't good and I don't want to have any more nose. And that's clouding the judgment to actually go on and create that relationship because the intention is set for the sale, it's not intended for the person. I know I can walk away from every call that doesn't close or any person that I tell isn't coming on to know that I've still made a good first impression because even the people that I say no to, if I don't feel like we've clicked, I've been respectful to them yeah. as to why, you know, and I've always told them like my doors are open if they want to ask any questions, anything like that. Um, and I'd be happy to send them any advice over that they need. Um, so that's a big one because my entire business has never been built off of me being a salesman. It's just me being a coach, you know, and I never want to be a salesman because I know when I'm being sold to and I know when it feels very fucking sleazy. Yeah. <laughs> but I genuinely just want to make a difference. Like, going on your Instagram, walking the virtual gym floor instead of feeling as though you have to just wait for when the next lead is going to come to you. Like you need to have this like very strong level of conviction that you can have an impact on people's life. My, one of my clients texted today and she's like, I just want everyone to join this cult. And I'm like, that is what we are here. Like it's very cultish. But you want your clients to be like that. It just shows the power and seeing your clients are like that gives you so much belief in what you're selling. And it's not selling to make sales, it's selling to improve and change people's lives. Yeah. Massive. I think I can't remember who I was listening to on a podcast. I think it was Dean uh, Grazuzzi, and he was talking about um, like how selling is your service, not because like again you're selling to make income, but yeah. ultimately, um, if you now don't give yourself the permission to put your hand in the air, communicate, convey what you do, and give people the opportunity to now be able to actually just have a conversation with you, um, they still stay stuck. Yeah. And when you now know that you can help that person, but again, there's all these potential kind of limited beliefs, stories, experiences now gone before. It's not as simple as like, let me put up a quick call to action. Let me put out some information or some recipes or let me post a couple of times. Like this is like compounding interest of each and every day now turning up and doing the do uh, and putting those two P's into the machine or paying the debts as you would call it to now basically commit to this is who I am. This is what I say that I do. And I'm just gonna now be here and whenever you're now ready yeah. um, to come on that journey with me, like you're gonna now see that kind of consistent presence, that consistent energy, that openness, that vulnerability, um, the ability to not be able to, and this is something that I've struggled with, is like pedestal yourself with like, these are my problems that I've had before, but now I'm good. It's like actually the ability to be able to open up and say, actually, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm going through. This is what isn't like, like perfect at this moment in time. Or, or, you know, this is what we're working towards. And then being able to now be able to allow yourself the opportunity to, be a leader by putting your hand in the air and actually standing for something. Mm. Um, and now knowing that you can't be a life-changing presence to some without being seen as a joke and an embarrassment to others and just now being able to expose yourself in that manner because you know the impact and the connection you now want to be able to create. And in the online space, it is getting harder. The market is more saturated and there's less trust in the industry due to the last couple of years. And it is now going to be, um, yeah, more difficult to actually connect with individuals and build an online presence. Yeah. But um, if you can now focus on the human first, the connection first, and I think fundamentally make sure that you're now climbing your own mountain mm. first and foremost. Okay. And I think appreciating one big thing that gave me closure is that people need you exactly as you are today. Exactly, exactly. Like you, can solve, you can solve so many problems now that you don't have to try and look up to the person that you believe you need to be right now. All you need to do is present who you are 
like in any form that could be either on a call on stories like doing a real making it not polished like not spending hours on it and throwing up as it is just to show a little bit of like vulnerability of like where you are mm-hmm. because even if you're one step ahead of someone you're still qualified more to help them than where you are in the same position as them if that makes sense so yeah, you're you're so right. You're so right. And I think massive thing that, and even Jen touched upon this, who spoke at our event last week, and she was absolutely phenomenal. Was that, and we talk about this all the time. It's like you're not there to provide solutions. You're there to hold space. Yeah. Listen, create safety, potentially ask the right questions at the appropriate times. Yeah. But you're not there to now be this like problem solver. There's a time and a place to solve a problem, mm-hmm. but it's actually now giving yourself that ability to be able to take a step back and realize actually, do you know what? I now don't have to be this knight in shining armor that has all the answers, that has all the solutions, that can now fix this person because that's not our role and that's not our duty. But I know certainly for me, especially when I was kind of like up and coming in the industry, I felt so much self-applied pressure because I felt as well I had to take away all their problems and I felt this degree of responsibility and I placed so much of my worth on being the person that then became a problem solver Yeah. Um, and then that would keep me up at night I then wouldn't be able to think I would literally be there it's like the Carlsberg advert where you're there but you're not actually there I'm making Leanne's chatting away and I'm like fucking worrying about fucking whatever I'm worried about I mean mean, like like, it's just in my head just like I'm away on a different fucking planet like but it's that way and again it consumes you and then you then start to question and that self-doubt starts to creep in. Am I good enough? Can I get this person a result? Can I help this person? And then before you know it, your energy gets tanked, your boundaries and barriers then become compromised because you're now saying yes to everybody else and saying no to yourself. Mm. And then you're just carrying on this like this burden, this weight, and then you end up burnt out, fatigued, um, questioning yourself, questioning your identity. Have I got a kind of future in the industry? Yeah. Um, and I'm grateful for having been through that. And I believe that you've been through yeah. something similar. But it's about now understanding like that was one of the most powerful things that I was able to realize is that I'm not here just to yeah pr- like be this, the problem solver, yeah. but actually now be the person I'm now going to stand shoulder to shoulder. There's a time to teach, there's a time to coach. Yeah. Um, but it's that level of understanding. But you can only do that by also doing the reps. Hundred percent. Like that's some steps that you can't now skip. And the reason that you are now where you are is that you can only connect the dots when you look backwards. And it's like the markers on the gym floor yeah morning noon and night the person who was now coaching all these sessions doing all these free sessions going above and beyond you know has now allowed you to have that experience mm-hmm. and also now the certainty in this is who i am this is what i do i back myself i trust myself um and confidence is evidence and that only comes through time yeah. and something you can't now like cut out and or miss and i feel as though that there's a lot of people through covid that have missed those steps 100 um which is understandable due to obviously the circumstances, but now we're in a position whereby they haven't now got the foundations in place to be able to continue to repel. It's almost like you've almost got to regress a little bit to then be able to progress. Yeah. Is that something that... Yeah, there's also ego there, like ego, like all online coaches, the pinnacle, so you can't take a step back now. But like, as an online coach, you can still see your clients more frequently. Yeah. Like, do meetups every month, do meetups every fortnight if people are around you. Make sure that if you are having pencil bending, you're doing them fortnightly, but you're doing them monthly, make sure that you give people in advance, like they don't live as close a bit of an insight into when that's going to be so that they can travel through and feel like they're part of the team, that connection, because you're actually only going to be able to solve real problems and like build real connections in person more than you will ever be able to online. And listen, I totally get how that sounds being online coaches, but it is true. That's why we run live events. Why I, I run live events, you, me, we, I, that's <laughs> um, But I think the biggest thing here is like when we run live events and we've not met people yet, like they feel as if they've 
known as for years, mm-hmm. you know. So if you are a coach and you have maybe like progressed a little bit quicker because of the last few years and you don't do any of that work face to face with your clients on a regular basis, like you need to do it and you need to you need to see them more. Um to understand them. And I'll have had clients that have been struggling and the minute they come to a live event, it's like they're on a whole different trajectory. Yeah. Because they feel part of something. They, they realize why it's so important to turn up to the webinars that we run, to check in on time, to be open and honest with their problems. So you can only lead the way for people to get there. You can't expect them to be there. And I think that's that buy-in and that trust. And it ultimately all starts with a relationship. Yeah. And that's the biggest most important. And then again, it's almost then coming back down to, we talked about this at the event, it's like, as a coach, if you now were to strip, I'm a coach, I'm a gym owner, I'm an online coach, I'm a personal trainer, I'm a fitness class instructor, nutritionist, whatever it now might potentially be, away from you, mm. who are you? Fucking savage. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody that trains and looks like they're gonna punch somebody. Uh, exactly, honestly, see if I had none of that shit, I would yeah. just be training 24 <laughs> seven. It's one of those things as well, it's like actually now allowing yourself to also now like realize that you are not just your but business is, yeah. your business is not just you and ultimately people now want to be able to get to know the person your quirks your your perks yeah. the peppermint tea the, you know the carrot sticks the tight jeans that I like to wear my high, you know my high performance Ugg slippers like uh, all like the weird and wonderful things um, that you now have like that reconnect you with somebody so you know, even whether that's now like you, you value taking the dog for a walk on the beach, whether that's now you value or like make the thing that I, that I most loved about you is when you did the game with Joanne who'd been struggling in Dubai <laughs> for a week or two and then you did like, like this or that uh, with regards to going to the cinema yeah. watching the World Cup and it's like actually allowing people to actually now see you on a more kind of like human level, yeah. like on a more personal level and again in an online space it's like how can you create more of that like offline connection again but that's now not calories, macros, training splits, and all these different things, but like, who am I? And that can feel difficult because, again, I know for me, it's like, well, now I've got to expose myself and there's resistance to that because if I'm just Joe the coach, there's a protective mechanism there. Whereas then you have to let people in. It's like, well, again, it goes back down to what you were saying earlier. So what if I'm not like, that's a huge fear that I used to have because similar, I never used to fit in. I was the odd one out and like, yeah, it was just like, then I've got this, this greater desire and need to want to be able to please and want to be able to connect. And that's why, you know, I built and created the high performance coach because I was like the person who wandered around and didn't really feel as though I had my space. So I think as well, it's like, who are you when you strip back the training, the macros, and actually allowing people to like be let into your world? Yeah. Um, and see you. With that, do you, because I, I still get this from time to time, and I, I, didn't, I don't think I'll ever leave it, even based upon what you've built and the people you help, do you still sometimes think in awe, like, how am I even here? Because I still feel like this little weird fucking kid that yeah. I always was. Hundred percent. I think you always think like you know uh, you always have moments at the event like last week and you're being the same. It's like I can't believe that hundred plus people have now come to Glasgow to come and then they've not come to see me. They've come to be a part of something yeah. that I was the facilitator of initially, but now it's them that's building and creating that. Um, and actually, like I say, realizing like yeah, people want to connect people trust you people want to invest people want to support people um actually you know now look up to you and i take that with such huge like, admiration gratitude and humility and that's now the biggest driver for me to now be able to realize and recognize well okay i need to continue to develop and improve and be better myself yeah um not in the way in which i look not in the way in which i perform not in the way in which i you know train but within myself the awareness i have myself and my ability to now be able to again like create more opportunities to be able to build more relationships yeah. because that's at the core of everything but to answer your question yeah i don't think you ever feel ready you, you know you don't ever feel 
ready. Yeah. You know, and I don't think initially you're ever going to feel worthy or you're ever going to feel good enough because there's no there's no conf- there's no evidence that backs it up because you've never experienced that before. Yeah. The more you start to do, I think the more it starts to um, like solidify, and the more you start to step into it, and the more you start to normalize it. But definitely initially, I think you feel like a rabbit in the headlights. Yeah. How do you feel? Yeah. No. No. I feel, I feel confident now. It's just like sometimes I'm thinking about things in my head where like every relationship will have their wee quirks. But me and Joanne will do like stupid wee voices to people sometimes, and then after like we stop, I think to myself. Can't believe Cunt's actually listened to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're hearing me tonight. You're hearing me tonight doing Lola's dog voice. Aaron, you've heard me do Lola's dog voice. I do Lola's dog voice all the time, and then I sometimes get into bed and I'm like, "Why do people know that I'm an absolute?" <laughs> <laughs> I literally am like, I'm having a full blown conversation with my dog. And <laughs> I mean, I'm like. Oh my god! How many people are like I'm like yeah. Oh, this is ju- this is maybe that's going to be need, need to be the next episode. I get Lola to sit there. Maybe you should. That's it. It's a conversation. That's the stuff people want to see. But like oh. that, that is the stuff people want to see. And I think this is what this is all about. Like you see, when you have those thoughts of like fucking hell, no one would ever invest in me if they said yeah. this is what I was up to. It's like I be fucking that, would. That's the very thing. Every single person is going to be doing the same thing in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Like everything's got their own wee quirks to it like the relationship you have with your dog like my dog will just literally sit in my face and lick my face I come in here tonight and I'm like Loa give me a kiss now <laughs> just like she's in on a shout I, exactly I'm like I don't care this tongue is nicer than any other human's tongue totally fine clean up um, I'll have like those funny quirky things I do with Joanne I'll have those funny quirky things I do with Moan I'm like one of those guys that if I'm out a walk and I'm walking across like slabs that I need to hit like an even or odd number when I'm walking shit yeah. like that like I'm always inside my own head like creating wee games thinking yeah. to myself and just being like a big kid you know and even though like I show up professionally in the front end I try and make these things like so known to like the people I work with yeah because it's the shit they don't talk about either and maybe if they were okay talking about some of the quirky shit they done they wouldn't feel embarrassed about who they, who they truly were they could step more into themselves yeah definitely well mate there's two things there's two things that I think have allowed us to connect with one another on an even higher level <laughs> number one is the post you put the other day about how you love James Blunt oh mate, oh, mate how could James Blunt I am, a, I, am, I am also a James I'm also a massive James Blunt fan we need to find if he's playing somewhere and we need to go mate I don't think there's tours anymore mate I think he's I think his music's quality do you know why I love him so much is because see when I was getting bullied and stuff when I was younger um, I used to have a Gamecube do you remember Gamecubes yeah. right, so I used to have a Gamecube and I used to play King Kong in the Gamecube um, I remember I got that for Christmas got the game for Christmas and got the James Blunt CD for my Christmas <laughs> my mum commented my Facebook post like James Blunt how have I raised you and I'm like you're the one that bought me the CD for the first time you know what I mean um, so I used to bye my friend <laughs> it was so good just like sitting zoned out in my own wee world playing King Kong it's the best game ever by the way like I wish they still done games like that like with my headphones on with my wee CD player with James Blunt playing on repeat and I fucking since that time of my life just loved them that's it mate I am I, when I read that I was like mate but that's as, as stupid as that sounds like that's the very thing that would now connect somebody to, like, again, and again the ability to now be to sh- like share those things and allowing yourself to be you which sounds a bit kind of like hippie but like it's like allowing yourself to be you and if uh, you ever want to understand how you can acquire a client like Mark um, basically the way in which uh, myself and Mark actually the reason that we're actually able to get Mark into the high performance coach a few years ago was, uh, 
<laughs> was funny, but uh, Mark was doing a triathlon. He was basically trying to do like four half Ironmans like within a month. So he was trying to do a half Ironman every single month. I was in the process of basically wanting to do a full Ironman. So uh, it was like, a, it was a November, it was a Tuesday and me and Mark have gone back and forth. We've been like known each other from the competing scene, all those good things. I was like, mate, do you want to go for a swim? Like, yeah, mate, amazing. Let's go for a swim. We'll meet you at this lock. We'll go for a swim. We basically rocked up, like, right, mate, ready to go. Yeah, we went in. Just as I was about to put my goggles on, uh, like a flock of seagulls came oh over. Oh my God, remember that? <laughs> and I was literally just about to put my goggles on and I just, all this shit just got splattered <laughs> into my goggles just as I was about to put my... Right, you should have that one in your mouth. Yeah, it probably did go in my mouth. And then we should have known then. And uh, like, that's, wait, that's what we should have talked about. A hundred percent. And anyway, we went we went for a swim. It was incredibly cold. We're in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a lock with nobody around. Um, and it was, of course, freezing. We got out and it was unbelievably cold. Mark was significantly colder because he hadn't been exposed to being in a lock. I had been swimming in a lock pretty consistently. Yeah. So um, it was the first time you've been exposed to like 20, 25 minutes in that, in that water. We had to get out and we had to run back to the car. But, well, and you actually get there because you noticed something yeah. before. You're like, maybe we shouldn't swim all the way back. Maybe we should go to the yeah. side. And that's it. I remember you getting out and then you're like, mate. And then couldn't even through my hands. I was like, cheap muscle T Rex. And we got. We had to run back to the car. At this point, I had to strip. First time we'd obviously probably seen each other since the competing scene. And then I had to strip Mark completely bullet naked. <laughs> Because he, he couldn't feel his hands or his legs or anything in fact. I feel like stumpy, like I was trying to get things off. I'm like, ah. Oh. Oh, I took, and I had, a, I had a dry robe I had to put on him, put him in the heat seat in my car and he heat his seat on. And uh, we basically sat for over an hour and I gave him this squares bar. And for about half an hour, he actually couldn't get this squares bar in his mouth because his hands were shaking so much. Like, and I was genuinely so unbelievably concerned, and he didn't know what he was, what I was worried about. And then he looked in the, you looked in the mirror, and his lips were like bright blue. And you're like, oh. <laughs> and we then had to sit for an, over an hour. I remember doing a call, and I was like, "Very nice, this guy really is cold to save my yeah. life." <laughs> oh man, I had, I had, I had a a quote-unquote sales call yeah. and I had to message this individual being like hey listen I'm really sorry I'm gonna have to miss this call because <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with one of my mates <laughs> he's currently got hypothermia and, uh, and uh, she was very understanding and she actually the next day did actually did sign up um, but that was, get, is she still in the program that, that <laughs> she'd been there for two years she's, uh, recent, she's recently just left um, but yeah that was obviously when our, our relationship had like formed and a trust and a trust was built and from that day forth, you realise, right, okay, maybe I can. Now I've been able to get completely bollock naked and get dressed by this guy. <laughs> it was either that or this is the first time someone's really protected me. <laughs> when I'm not, like, without me having to protect myself. It was, a, it, was such a, it was such a pivotal point, probably. And I think maybe like six weeks later, I signed up. Yeah. I think, because um, I remember I left, I left and I phoned Joanne and I told her and she's like, why the fuck do you always do these things? Get home now, you're never swimming a lock again. Like, this and that. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, these things, like, the worst things happen the first thing, that's a good thing. Yeah. Like, only good things can now come from it. Yeah. You learn, and she's like, that's fucking bollocks. <laughs> she's like, get home. <laughs> so, it, it was funny, but it's good, like, it's so good exploring these things with people like yourself and, like, having the opportunity to do so because, you know, you're in good hands, you know, people. You, you trust that people are going to do the right thing in those kind of situations. Like, I could have been with a cowboy PT at that time, they might have just been like, mate, I guess he was calling fucking off. Yeah. You know, get back in your own car that doesn't have heat seats and die. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and I think now it's it's obviously very prevalent that we hold very similar values and 
I, I learned so much from you around like the relationships, the connections, and it's it's one of the main reasons why I want to be here as well because I keep on learning from like how you do things, you know, because you're at a point in your career that is very different to mine because you've always led in a kind of different way but a similar way at the same time so I get to learn different styles of how you do things and it's always so good to see how all of it always comes together and you're always looking at like, what gaps you have to fill and it's inspiring as fuck I massively appreciate that mate I still remember I've still got one of your gloves oh you still got that glove <laughs> I've looked for that glove for ages I've still got that glove but in all honesty I think we all stand on the shoulders of giants and uh, this is a big thing I share it's like, like fundamentally like I hold you accountable, you hold me accountable. Every single coach inside the High Performance Coach holds me to a higher account. Yeah. They um, demand me to be better of myself. A bit like every single one of your clients now demands you to be better of yourself. And like for me, that's the very reason that I get out of bed every morning is because I now know that I have to be better for those individuals and for those people. And I'm learning continually every single day from um, the coaches that are around me. And even though there's like a coach-client relationship, it's, it is, but of course it's, it's not really because I'm still learning and developing much like you're doing exactly the same with your coach-client relationship. And I think that that's the most powerful thing. And also, again, the ability to now be able to have the absolute pleasure of working with people that you're excited to connect to. But again, you want to spend time with, you want to now be able to go out for food and- See your penis. That was it. Um, but like, I think that ultimately is really, really where it is. And it's like, now people need belonging, people need connection, people need safety, they need security. They need the ability to feel listened to, heard, understood, and to feel as though that they now actually um, have a space in a place where they can just be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately that then also comes back down to you. Yeah. And if you now want to be able to, I believe, have sustainability, longevity, um, it is that exposure and that opportunity to go, yeah, I I'm, can't be a life changer to some without being seen as a joke and embarrassment to others. And I have, I am going to have to put myself out there and there is going to be resistance to that. Like I still have huge resistance to really putting myself out there. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to start doing the podcast was like, that's been one of the things that's made me feel really uncomfortable because I feel safe being myself with you, but putting myself out to the internet, even now after 13 years of like being in the industry and having worked with thousands of people, it's like still something there's a little bit of resistance towards. And it's like that ability to now, to now know, okay, this is what I have to do to be able to have the impact and create the connections mm-hmm. and give other people then the road, uh, the runway and the opportunity for them to have the permission to be able to step into but okay, and then what impact's that then going to have and the ripple effect that that then creates? And it's like, that's the thing that drives me forwards. And it's like, not just doing it for me. Yes, there's selfish, obviously, um, reasons as to, as to why and I'll do this, but also then actually it's about the selfless yeah. endeavours that actually is the real kind of North Star that drives you. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And you do hold me accountable. I hope I hold you accountable. <laughs> tomorrow? Tomorrow. We'll see tomorrow. We'll see. <laughs> tomorrow. Tomorrow it's on. But that's what it's about. So, dude, um, I didn't really know where this conversation was going to go. Um, really, really powerful. I should have actually said at the start, we should have done a disclaimer, um, that Mark speaks just as fast as me, <laughs> if not faster, because, well, of, the class, because, of, because of the classical accent. Um, so, actually, if you've got to the end and you haven't understood a word that either of us has said, <laughs> then you actually might want to go back and watch this on 0.5 times speed. And then you actually may be able to make a little bit of sense. Uh, but dude, I massively appreciate the honesty, the openness, and uh, just the ability to now be able to share. Uh, you're an incredible friend, somebody who's really leading the way in the industry and an inspiration to um, so many. So dude, massive appreciation to you. Uh, for everybody that's listened, if you've made it this far, uh, we appreciate you. If this has been valuable in any way, shape, or form, uh, feel free to obviously share with another coach or even um, a friend that you now feel as though may potentially take uh, some entertainment um, and or even potentially a golden nugget away from this. So uh, whatever you're up to, have an incredible uh, morning, afternoon, evening. Keep being awesome. We love you all. Speak to you soon.